coming up this week off screen. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles step out of the shadows. Man faces orcs in Warcraft. Josh Duhamel is guilty of misconduct. Jesse Owens gets the biopic treatment in Race. Adam Sandler and David Spade get a do-over. Amelia Clark is all about me before you. And Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling are the nice guys. All those to come and more off screen. This is this is off screen. Off screen. the latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen, I'm Van Connor. Case Allen. And our job, as always, is to guide you, lovely listeners, through the miraculous world that of is multiplex task. mayhem, I mm. suppose. The best cinematic offerings to come. But mm. we should, of course, start with you know cinematic offerings yet to come. You know, come yeah, somewhere down the line. Because we have got some, some news as of this morning, which is pretty epic. And you pretty called big. it. You called I this called as well. it like a year ago. You did. Okay, so uh, I think it's, it's, it's three years from now. It's 2019. Uh, March yeah. 2019. We're mm. going to get the first female led Marvel movie. Yeah. And it, it's going to be Captain Marvel, who of course is, I think she's she's Captain Carol Danvers, Carol Danvers who yeah. is an Air Force pilot who mm. encounters an alien and gets her DNA it's Kind of similar and... to Green Lantern, but with powers of Superman. But it's, 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 like, it's like Green Lantern, but it's not going to suck. Not going to suck. Not going to suck. Not going to be a CGI suit, hopefully. Exactly. Yeah. Not, don't make it green or animated. No. And of course, <laughs> in the famous words. In the famous words. But of course, the, the thing that makes it so awesome, the reason we know it's not going to suck, is, as you predicted, Mr. Allen, please, please do tell everyone, who is playing Captain Marvel? Please tell us. Well, she's in early talks, but is currently leaning towards doing parts. Brie Larson. Well, this calls for a celebration. <laughs> I will. You called it, baby. I called you it. Called I should it. have put a tenner on it. You really should have. Yeah, but but you... I, I really, really hope that does pan out. That'd be so good. I do as well. Um, and she's in talks. I, I think she'd been named for a while, so that she's actually yeah. going to talks is actually something encouraging. I would, ca- I would kind of say that's that's really kind of a cert now because she's the the only serious candidate that's sort of been named. There's no one else. Absolutely, yeah. It's, yeah. it's not like when the, uh, we were casting for Spider Man, we had like five different names. It's not. It's, not it, like it's that, very true. It? Yeah. Um, there, there was someone rumored as director this morning, but that. Oh, really? that was a very faint rumour. I will look that up. We'll look that up for later in the podcast extras, so we'll, cool. we'll get to that. Oh, meanwhile, i got to talk about another another film yet to come, and I'm really, really excited about this. What is this one? Right. <clears throat> it is the one-year anniversary this week, I don't know if you know this, of Kung Fury. Yes, yes, I do know this. Mm. Yeah, so Kung Fury, which was uh, this this sort of internet hit a year ago. It was a crowdfunded short film. I think it didn't clock in about half an hour or something. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix yeah. now. It was released to YouTube and it's found yeah. to various VOD platforms. To mark the one-year anniversary, uh, the director and creator of it, David Sandberg, has uh, has announced Kung Fury 2 is coming. Wow. We don't know the title. He has announced it by putting a picture of the script with a red bandana around it on Instagram. Because <laughs> <laughs> how else would you announce how else it? Would you? We don't know if this one's going to be crowdfunded as well yet. Um, we don't know. The last one was a sort of homage to the 80s action movie. It looks yeah. like an old VHS retro classic. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Are they going to do 90s this time? Can you do 90s? Oh, that'd be good. Yeah, like, Different different know. decade. Yeah, it'd be kind of cool. Or maybe go back. Maybe do the 70s. Maybe. I mean, it's time travel. So, yeah, you know, it, yeah. was, it was Kung Fury went back and fought Hitler, a.k.a. Kung Fiora. 
which <laughs> was just a fantastic pun and totally totally worthy of many many sequels. Yeah. So shall we uh, shall we start the box office top ten early this week? We'll get the first half out of the way. Get out of the way, let's and then uh, well, let's get it done then. Number ten, minuscule Valley of the Lost Ants. Now you were surprised that this was in the top ten. I was I really surprised. Was. I mean, it's still my favourite film title of the year. <laughs> Is it really? It's great. <laughs> Valley of the Lost Ants. Well, um, it's actually it's actually really sweet, really cute little film, mm. and it is this sort of st- uh, sort of CG attempt at stop motion. It looks sort of photorealistic, but they have sort of animated faces. It's a completely silent film. It's just a musical score, and yet it's just really sweet and endearing, and kind mm. of weirdly funny at the same time. Apparently, it spins out of an animated series that I've not seen. I think it's on CBBS. And given that it's number ten, obviously the series must be really popular. <laughs> but uh, yeah, worth checking out. And apparently, a lot of people are number nine. Twenty-eight days later, a secret cinema event that you, my friend, went to. I did go. Are you, are you interested in going yourself? I would recommend it. Yeah, uh, I I do want to go to a secret cinema event. I don't you know don't if this, this one. one. I mean, I do really, really love this film, but mm. I'm interested to see what they're going to do next. It's true, and it is a, it is being held at the same place that they did the Empire Strikes Back, it's which like, I like should have old, gone. To. It's like an old factory. Yeah, and they've they've done wonders with it. They've just, they've decked it out to look kind of like halfway between a mental institution and and an army barracks. <laughs> really cool, really effective, and the actor they have actors pop out during the film as well, being sort of acting bits. That's very cool. So when the zombies are loose in the film, they're loose in the screening, and it's really cool and really <laughs> effective. I had a lot of fun with it. Number eight, love and friendship. You were quite a big fan of it. I, I was quite a big fan of it, and it has now emerged that I'm not the only one. It seems a lot of people yeah. really, really like this film, and it's because it is this triumph of injecting a contemporary cynicism and wit into a classical Jane Austen work, and it is funny and it is biting and it is really vicious, and that seems to be the triumph of, of Whit Stillman, who's made it, uh, who made uh, the Last Days of Disco with Kate Beckinsale and Chloe Serini, who of course reunite in this film along with like Stephen Fry and and it, it's a lot of fun. I that's it. I laughed and I found it really edgy and biting and I never expected to. Number seven, Bad Neighbors Two: Colon Sorority Rising. <laughs> you finally saying it. it. Finally, finally saying, saying it. it. Which if, if you really really love the first one and there are people that do. I don't understand it. Personally. I did really enjoy the first one, but I am dissuaded to see the second one. Why particularly? I don't feel that the story has moved on a great deal. I don't really like the new cast editions. That's but kind you know of what? It. If you don't feel the story's moved on, then you're, you're bang on the money because it is just a retread. It sets itself up to do something new and, and incredibly interesting and then falls back on let's just retread the first movie. And that, I, w- I would prefer if Seth Rogen became a bad neighbour himself. That yeah, the unintentional like, bad neighbour. That they, would they be move like next to like some grandparents or something. I'd see that movie. Number six, Captain America: Civil War. It is. It is kind of funny though now when we look back on this because this is still the most successful film of 2016 so far. So far. Yeah. Did you know actually that uh, Zootopia slash Zootropolis? <laughs> Is in fact the highest-grossing original film of the year. Oh, really? Yes, it is. That makes sense. Really, highest, I guess. J- Jungle Book is based on actually, a book and a film. Tell or? a lie. I think it's actually the high, the second highest-grossing original film ever. I think I've heard that somewhere as well. Okay. Which is mind-blowing. That is crazy. But it is so good. I've watched it so many times now, <laughs> and I, I want all the toys. You can get one of of uh, Fennec with his little uh, elephant suit. You can actually buy oh, really? that. And you can you can take the suit off of him. That's adorable. I want that toy. It, it's about twenty quid for this plush thing. I'm buying it. I, I want the J.K. Simmons lion. You want the J.K. Simmons lion? Male lion heart, I want to say? 
Yes, male yeah. Male Yes, yeah. Well, it is a great film, and it is this sort of weirdly, it's a spiritual successor to like Who Framed Roger Rabbit <laughs> and films like that. It? And it, it deals with racism. It's such a and strong message. Well, several strong several, messages. Several, yeah. yeah. You, you literally can, you know, weigh in the way through it and just go, message. Like constantly. <laughs> yeah. But I, I wholeheartedly recommend it. And we, we talk too. we, we talk a lot about uh, Zootopia, I think, just, just in daily life because it is. We end up just singing the song every time we see each other. We, we, we do, we do. And, and because it's such what, a great song. What song is that? Yeah, you know, it, one, you know yeah. it. You know it. <laughs> that song that you hate so much. Mm. And uh, well, my other half uh, saw the film for the first time last week. And the first time, for the really? first time, she hadn't seen it, and she got to watch it, and afterwards declared, "Yes, I can see why you like that song that and that song. film so much." Yeah. But clearly, case is insane. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. so of course, you know, we say we talk about it a lot. We usually do it in the podcast extras, where we talk about all the things we can't fit into the actual show proper. So, if you listen to this on radio and you notice that we don't cover things like the new Adam Sandler movie, The Do Over. Or the new Josh Duhamel legal thriller Misconduct. For those Josh Duhamel and Adam Sandler super fans out super there. Super fans, yeah. You can, of course, uh, download the podcast, download the free podcast edition, which is slightly longer and has loads of stuff after the end credits, including, of course, most importantly, our moment of cage. Which, that's why you all tune in. That's why. Yeah. That, that's the only reason anyone listens to the show, really, is the moment yeah. of gauge. But that, that, that's clearly it. But no, so the podcast edition, you can get it on ACAST, SoundCloud, iTunes, Podcast Island, Stitcher, any of those apps, or just go on the on-screen, uh, onscreenfilm.com website and download it direct from there. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back. You can't beat a bit of guitar-driven John Williams, no, can you? Can't. you? No, you no. can't. So, um, I'm, I'm sorry to do this to you, Case. I really am sorry, but it, it's, I, I know it's time. I know, you know what's coming. You know coming. what's coming. Yeah. It's time, and you know we've got to do it. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows, which is, of course, the much-anticipated sequel to the dreadful 2014 live-action. Who was anticipating this? I'm going to get to that in a moment. Right. Eight-year-olds. No, no, no. I will get to it, because there is actually anticipation around it, and I will explain why. Okay. Okay, so you had the 2014 film, and it was the same thing. April O'Neil, Attacked by Ninjas. You know, Trapid Reporter, April O'Neil, Attacked by Ninjas, uh, encounters four walking, talking teenage turtles who happen to be, you know, teenagers, mutants, and ninjas, hence the very clever title. Mm. And uh, they unite to take down the Shredder and his devious plan to destroy New York City, which in the case of that last film happened to be nearly the exact plot of The Amazing Spider-Man. And no one really seemed to have much faith in... even kind of look like Lizard as well. They kind of did. Yeah, okay, so you're familiar with the overall concept of the Turtles? I, yeah, okay. I, I know of their work. So you've got Leonardo, yeah. who's the leader in blue, does anything he takes to get his ninjas through... Donatello is a fellow who's good with machines. Raphael has the most attitude of the team. You've been practicing Michelangelo this. is one of a kind, and he's blah blah blah. Anyway, yeah, uh, Splinter taught him to be one lean, mean, green fighting machine. That's the that's the that's the gimmick. Yeah, Ma- is Michelangelo the cool one? Like, uh, Michelangelo the is a party dude. He's depending on he's which depending on which theme tune you go with. And the film actually opens with this the sequence in which they're leaping between buildings, and it freeze frames on each one and says, "Leo, the leader; Donny, the brains; Raph, right. the muscle; Mikey." Pizza lover. 
Pete Slower, of course, and, yeah. And it's quite he's, cool. he's the Joker. Exactly. <laughs> so what you've got this time around, and this is why it's anticipated, is the last time was just a Transformers movie with Turtles swapped in for robots. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. And you had a director who really, really wanted to live up to the, the you know, the name of producer Michael Bay. Jonathan Leavesman. Jonathan Leavesman, yeah. who brought us Wrath of the Titans. Oh yeah. This time around <laughs> you've got Dave Green who directed Earth the Echo, which is, you know, a family film which happened to involve CGI. It and, was like you know, a like a found footage ET, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, a bit yeah. of batteries included thrown in, etc. Exactly, yeah. So what you've got, and this is where the anticipation comes in, is they've gone slightly more in the direction of the old animated series, where you have Bebop and Rocksteady, the other, yes. the evil mutants, the henchmen yeah. mutants, and then you've got Krang, the alien warlord, who was originally going to be apparently voiced by Fred Arneson, but isn't. It's oh. now Brad Garrett, who's the brother Ooh. from uh, Everybody Loves Everybody Raymond. Raymond. yeah, of course. Yes. He's I, a pretty good voice actor, though. He is a good voice actor. His portrayal of Krang, perhaps not so much. That's a shame. Uh, Why was it not Fred Armisen? That would have been amazing. I, I, I don't know. Oh. So the idea is that Shredder is broken out of uh, out of prison, where he's obviously been sent after the events of the last movie. He's he's free to enact his evil schemes once again, but he teams up with alien warlord Krang uh, and creates his evil mutant henchmen. And the whole scheme is they have to assemble these three pieces of alien technology to make a transportation device that will enable them to rip a hole in the sky and ship through an alien war machine known as the Technodrome fan service, um, to, to loom above New York City and basically conquer the world. And into this mix as well, you have a prison guard called Casey Jones, fan service, who's played <laughs> by uh, Stephen Amell from Arrow, fan service, <laughs> who teams up with the Turtles to take down uh, Shredder, stop the assembly of the Technodrome, and basically free the world. But in the meanwhile, the Turtles themselves also have their own internal struggle, where they are still outsiders, they're still freaks, they, they are stuck in the shadows. They are the silent protectors of New York, yet nobody knows they are there because, frankly, they'd be too scared about it. Now, we have a clip. Um, the clips featuring the actual turtles are surprisingly sparse with this one. So we have a clip of the turtles jumping from one aircraft midair to another. Here you go. Oh, boy. We gotta go now. We only have a 30-second window. You know the plan. Uh, dude? What? He jumped. He jumped? Uh-huh. All right, one for all. But wait, 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 you don't have a shoot! Woo! I don't need a shoot. I got my board! <laughs> oh, this is awesome! Lands on the windshield of the, of the other plane. That's, that's the guy. You've that's seen what it in the Vin trailer. Diesel would do, well, actually, no. Vin Diesel would at least put out four Instagram posts about it first. That's that's how you. That's how it <laughs> first, and then also during <laughs> like midfall. Exactly. No. <laughs> Hashtag one love on the end, something like that. <laughs> Hashtag family. Yeah, that that's totes Vin. Yeah, <laughs> totes Vin. Yo. Okay. So right. First and foremost, I say it is all fan service, and the problem mm. with with the last Turtle film was it was yet another example of we only care about the newcomers. 
Ballers and and nothing else. Like if you if you are established fans of Turtles, don't bother coming. And you went and you saw it. And I'll be honest, I dozed off twice in the first Turtles movie. And I'm a died in the wall Turtles fan. I even have a lot of time for the 2012 Nickelodeon series, which is where our, our little audio button comes from, mm. because it is fun and campy, kind of joyous <laughs> little ninja mayhem uh, with a little manga inspiration as well. What they've done this time around is they have somehow managed to rein in the whole Transformers aspect and go with, let's put fun back in it. Let's actually go with what people liked about the Tilts to begin with, which is they had distinct personalities. They are still, they're not quite all the way there. All the way there. They are still a little iffy. I mean, they're not 100% the turtles you always knew and loved, but they are they're a little bit archetypy. I still can't figure out Raphael. Oh, sorry, Raph, because they never give them full names anymore. Raph is the muscle. Raph is the muscle. Yeah. And I don't know when that became a defining character because as far as I knew, he was always just in in the first one, I remember that being a pre pretty big part of his It was always he was character. meant to clash with the lead, that was the whole thing. But anyway, yeah. neither here yeah. nor there. So what you've got is you've got the, the, the turtle performances are better than they were before helped immeasurably by really, really strong writing. Dave Green, meanwhile, seems to know how to step back and actually take it all in. He has somehow cracked this little formula which stumbled, which you know, hobbled and, and you know, stumbled uh, John Leesman quite a bit, which is, rather than having all the energy you know, be the frame, keep the energy in the frame and keep the frame cut down well still. Yeah. Well, that, that first uh, Turtles film, that felt more like his audition tape to make Transformers 5. It really which did. Michael Bay was like, I'm, I'm just going to stick I'm around. Stick around. I'm going to stick around. I'm stick around. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the problem with it. Um, it does fall somewhat flat in the third act because it goes back and repeats the third act of the last film, which is we've got a platform high above the city. Stand on it, kick someone. Yeah. There's a clicking, uh, ticking clock in the background. Someone's going to fall over. Yeah. And yeah. other than that, though, it does kind of work. And you do come out of thinking, actually, I enjoyed it in spite of itself. And your expectations are so lowered by the last one, you come out and go, actually, that was a lot of fun. It even ends with the 80s theme song covered by some pop punk band, which I guarantee you're going to look it up and find out it's Bowling for Soup or someone. But uh, the first band I ever saw live. Really? Soup. Yep. Ah. Quick side note. That is, that is a weird choice, but never mind. Um, and and you do come out and go, actually, yeah, that was kind of fun, and I liked it. I liked Michelangelo's flying skateboard, and the fact that Don, Donatello is apparently the world's greatest marketing guru, because he's managed to brand everything turtle style to a degree that I want half the technology that's in this film. Um, sad note, Krang is a very off-putting character. The turtles themselves are still quite physically repulsive, mm. and you've got uh, Tyler Perry as Baxter Stock which is just ludicrously really? OTT, really over the top. And Do you remember when Gone Girl came out, and for a split second, everyone really liked Tyler Perry? I know, was like, oh, could, so he be, could he be a best supporting actor? Could yeah. that happen? I remember. Um, <laughs> I mean, they do they do package off that character in a way that he can kind of come back for the inevitable, and there will be a three-call. There oh, will yeah. clearly be a three-call. Yeah. Just please don't send them back in time this time, because nobody wants that... Nobody, the portal could only live for 60 hours. Nobody <laughs> wants that. Despite the no, fact they got that. Corey Feldman back as, uh, I think it was, was he Raphael? I can't remember. I'm but sure. uh, one of them was, in, in the first it. and third movie, one of them is Corey Feldman. 
That is completely true. Did he provide voices for the live stage show as well? No, he did not. What is that called? Turtles coming out coming of their, out of their shell. shells. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Oh, and Splinter is still a weird-looking thing. Um, but, say, hey, there's some decent stuff in there. I really like Stephen Amell in it. I was going to say, how is Casey Jones? He he, he is just a, a watered-down arrow, if we're of honest. Of course, yeah. But, <clears throat> uh, Laura Linney gets a surprisingly chunky uh, nice. sort of... The, the obligatory cop role. A cop yeah. who's trying to bust some kind of thing. Um, Will Arnett gets... Kind of more of a fully fledged character in this one. He was just kind of like like a loud mouth. Really, he he was in in film Godzilla. He mm. was what Hank Azaria was. Essentially. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly that. Um, what they've done this time is quite cleverly because of the events of the first film and the fact that turtles have to still be a secret. They mm. have basically given all the credit to Will Arnett, so he's now an oh egotistical, <laughs> self involved. You know, fake hero. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's his character, and he d- does it quite well. I didn't see that in work. that way that only Will Arnett could sell. Yeah, but in his Batman voice. It, exactly. Yeah. And now I had a lot of fun with it. Um, there are some, some some genuine laughs in it. You will actually laugh out loud quite a bit. Um, there is, there's some flair, there's some style, there's some fun. Kids are going to like it. Parents are going to like it. I think it's for the first time it's going to appeal to diehard fans as well as uh, you know newcomers who come along with the series. Mm. But I say I was I was won over by it. So let's talk about uh, race then, which oh, is yeah, the uh, this and this this came out of kind of nowhere because it came out in the US in February, which is prime Oscar time. Quite a while ago, yeah, but very much under the radar. Very under the radar. Yeah, it's directed absolutely. by uh, Stephen Hopkins, who <laughs> I I proclaim as the director of Lost in Space. And you proclaim as the director of the Ghost, Ghost in the, the Darkness. Darkness. Yeah. And for the record, I love Ghost in the Darkness, but Great not film. as much as I love Lost in Space. This is the story of Jesse Owens, who's played in this incarnation by uh, Stephen James. Do you, do you remember him from Selma? Yes, I do. Yeah. Right, that was exactly I'd forgotten him from Selma, yeah. and then I saw him in this and I'm like, wow, this is a star making he, He's not in Selma very long. Not, not very long, yeah. no. Um, very good, no. So Jesse Owens, and this is the story of Owens pretty much at the point that he arrives at Ohio State University and he meets his his future coach, who will of course take him to the Olympics, who's played by Jason Sudeikis in a relatively straight face kind of a role. Yeah, quite rare for him. Exactly. He yeah. he basically blows everyone away with his athletic ability. The fact that he is a young black man in the nineteen thirties not being lost on anyone, but he does seem to kind of transcend racial lines quite a bit because of basically just his just stunning athletic prowess. Um, he shatters records wherever he goes, and he's of course a shoe in for the 1936 Berlin Olympics, which of course raises a whole other question: If you go to the 1936 Berlin Olympics, surely you run the risk of unintentionally saying that the rise of fascism is okay, but at the same time. If you can, can you do that when things are just as bad for black people at home? And that's the question which plagues Jesse through the film. Here's a clip. No, coach. Look, I thought no. this through. Now, come on, you're going, okay? Trust me. Believe me, you're going. That's it. All right. You've worked too hard. All right. If you don't go over there, you're gonna feel awful. All right. If you were to pull out now, you. Yeah, I know. I'll regret it for the rest of my life, yeah, right? Exactly. Yes. Sir. And my wife, she'll walk out on me because she realizes what a loser I really am. And I'll probably end up drinking myself stupid and tell my coach he gets so sick of the sight of me that he gives me a goddamn job. Larry! You got a chance to be a part of history and you're going to walk away from it, huh? Throw it away? Look, I got people looking at me for an example. What do you mean people? What people? Black people? Come on, I don't give a sh** about any of that. Yeah, well, you're white. 
You don't have to. Now, this is the funny thing about about the film is that despite the fact that such a large amount of what makes it an important story has to do with race, what you've got is and this this sort of weirdly the timing of this is very strange because this comes out at the same time that Snoop Dogg has been making those comments about the remake of Roots. Yeah, I I, I saw those. Yeah, yeah, Snoop Dogg has been making comments with Roots. Why are we, why are we why are we dwelling, dwelling on this? Yeah, hmm? the producers now <clears throat> kind of hit back. At yeah, and this this, and this has started and this has been yeah. a thing in media for a long time when it comes to race in films there, there there is a fine line between dwelling and recounting the importance of the story yeah and so like current generations <clears throat> exactly now, now like, like when selma was released but it's the difference yeah. between selma it's the difference between selma and 12 years a slave one dwells one recounts and mm. I would argue those are two very, very important... Uh, it's a very important distinction between the two. Yeah. This is very much the recounting kind. This is not so much a dwelling idea. Although race is such an important aspect, I mean, it's literally the titular concept. Yeah. Although a very clever double title. Is, of course, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Stephen James, however, and he's, he's a star in the making from this film. He really is. He's mm. tremendous in it. He has found a way to play Owens as, do you know what? He is a man first and foremost. His historical significance is secondary to the fact that he is a man in his own right and it is important to depict him that way. And he does it tremendously well as a result. He's a very, very likable performer in this. And when they're talking about, you know, they keep adding people to the cast of Black Panther like it's going out of fashion. <laughs> like every black actor in it's Hollywood. Like when, is just, when is he going to turn up? It, 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 yeah. it's, that is, every black actor in Hollywood like, just stares at the John, mailbox John, every morning. Um, was it John Boyega was rumored John like Boyega. two weeks ago? Now that's funny you mention that because, funnily hmm. enough, John Boyega was originally attached to star in this. Really? And then he was. did Star Wars And then did come Star Wars yeah. instead. Um, Jason Sudeikis, managed, he doesn't dial down the comedy entirely. That, that is not Holber Boss's performance. That's there, is not, it? but he does play it somewhat light-hearted, and it works. Mm. The film is gripping, yes. in spite of the fact that Stephen Hopkins is still quite playing it quite televisually. Yeah. And like, that's where he's been for the last decade or so. I mean, the last film he did was 2007's The Reaping. And does anybody remember I that? I don't remember no, that. It's the Ten Plagues one with Hilary Swank. Right. And it, it was aight. But he does he does quite an admirable job here. And it's all about energy and it's all about drive. And, well, for a film called Race, it's funnily enough, it's a race you genuinely won't want to finish. It's great. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. And we're back. I love a bit of Top Gun. It's just nice it to have that a, weekly reminder, isn't it? Is of it, Top Gun. How, how many years? It's, it was a big anniversary. It's, it's Thirty it? years this 30 year years, since Top yeah. Gun. It was eighty-six, wasn't it? Mm. So, uh, well, let's finish the box office top ten for the week then. Okay. Number five. The Jungle Book. It's still there. It's so still seven, there. Is it seven, seven weeks? weeks? Yeah, oh, so man. We've, we've got... Is it three weeks we've three, decided? Three weeks. We have to just sing the Bare Necessities. That's, yeah. that's the deal we made. That's do we do happen. it on week 10, or do we have to do it on week 11? I'm, I'm unsure. Dealer's choice. Whatever you Dealer's want. choice. I think we'll just make it 10. Uh, the problem is, <laughs> it's probably going to still be there, and we are going to have to make good on this yeah. threat, because the film is so good. <laughs> it really is. And I've, I have met one or two people who didn't like it, but I think they missed the point entirely, and they have mm. uh, slated things like Idris Elba as, as Shia Khan. I don't get how you can. I mean, he's fantastic in it. He's a genuinely threatening villain. Yeah. In And when you've got a film as sweet and good-natured as The Jungle Book, as chock-full of heart as The Jungle Book, you need a genuinely scary villain, and he delivers that in spades. Number four. Money Monster. Money Monster. I loved this. This is a proper mid-90s old-school old for, for the grown-ups thriller. <laughs> comes, in a, comes in a cardboard DVD clip case. That's how 
timeless it is. You know, it, it belongs on the shelf next to things like anything starring Michael Douglas from 1994. Yeah. You know, things that used to star Val Kilmer once upon a time. Julie Roberts of a big curly hair. Yeah, yeah. Pelican, Pelican Brief kind of a yeah. thriller. But it's got, got a light heart to it. It's got brilliant performances from George Clooney, Julia Roberts, and Jack O'Connell. Yeah, he's great in it. And Jodie Foster brings it brings it hard this is a solidly entertaining film and i cannot recommend highly enough that you race to see this film immediately number three. Oh god what's gonna be stuck in my head for the next week <laughs> angry birds the movie uh, not the app the movie you know every time i hear the theme i just think of ted in a, in a courtroom yeah. Ted Ted Clubberlang in a courtroom when he takes his phone out. <laughs> but no, I like the Angry Birds movie. Um, I, I actually do. I, I laughed and I, I found it nowhere near as offensive as some critics did. Some um, absolutely love it. But <clears throat> the, the thing is, it's done quite well in America, and so it's now it's, begetting other style films. Well, that's it. But it is also going to do really huge around the world because it has such international appeal. Um, and it's also, I think, quite cleverly written. It's written by a guy who did The Office, so mm. his humour's in the right place. Number. Two. Alice through the looking glass. Better than the first. Well, much, that's good. Much better that's than good. the first. Um, well, that's, that's like saying that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 is better than the first. Well, yeah. Sorry, you mean <laughs> hashtag TMNT2? I'm never Which doesn't that. make a whole heap of sense since there was a movie called TMNT and that was better than any of the movies put yeah. together. But uh, never mind. Um, Alice through the looking glass, which I liked as a sequel, and I did not care in the slightest for the first one. Mm. Uh, I quite like Sasha Baron Cohen's almost Werner Herzogian <laughs> infused with Peter, Peter Sellers kind of performance. I the best thing in it. Uh, actually, Helen Carter's the best thing in it. Um, oh, she... she actually gets something to do with her queen this time mm. around. I liked it. I was entertained. But Johnny Depp is still just the worst thing about these movies. Number one. X-Men Apocalypse. Well... It's it's just it's a meh, isn't it? It's a meh. It's X Men Second Class. X Meh Second Class. There That's you what go. it is. That's the so, new title. For thanks it. to Rich Foster again for Second Class. We like that. Um, and and oh, is that, is that not to, one of yours? That's not oh, one of mine. That, you've got to give a shout out. I've got to give a shout out. It's not mine. So, uh, but no, it, it's just that it just feels like such a greatest hits album of better bits from better X Men movies. Mm, like it's got the Quicksilver scene. Got the Quicksilver. It's got the Cerebro scene. It's got the the, the Wolverine Berserk. Scene. It's got the. It's got all these bits. You're just like, it's I've even got Ultron, who was the, in a completely different franchise. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which it's such a waste of that that actor and that character. It, it really. really is. Oh, I mean, yeah. Oscar Isaac. How do you waste Oscar Isaac? And I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the less said about Olivia Munn's uh, near mute cameo, the better. <laughs> she just walks off screen at the end. She, she kind of like, does. She, she was she? just like, oh, that, that's, that's all of my so, lines. I'll, I, I'll see you. I'll I'm see done. You. Sorkin, call me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of just how it is. Walking, Sorkin. I'm doing a walk and talk, Sorkin, call me. Uh, no, didn't, didn't really care for it, to be honest. I will never see it again. I mean, that, that kind of goes without saying. Um, is anything in the film news worth talking about? Um, oh, 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 um, talking of franchises that go on far too long. Uh, have you heard about Power Rangers? Uh, yeah, so um, we're going to get the first one, is it next year? Next year. And then we're going to get the second one, presumably two years after that, I, and then the third one two years after that, and then a fourth and a fifth and a sixth and a seventh, and until we all die. Yeah. And yeah. Now, the worst part is, there is actually a genuine franchise being made out of Power Rangers, provided that they're going... You just know, make sure that profit. the first one is good and people like it. That's first. it. Make yeah. make a great film, make a franchise. That's second. it. That's how it works. So let's talk about the nice guys then. Which is uh, this is the latest yes. from Mr. Shane Black, Mr. Christmas himself, Mr. Christmas himself. <laughs> now, Shane Black, I think, is every film nerd's guilty pleasure. 
And why is he a guilty pleasure? I think it might because his films do air on the side of dumb action movies, but they tend to have just a little bit, a little bit of jazz to them. But a bit of smart. So I will not say it's a guilty pleasure. I, I love Shane Black. Yeah, but let's be honest though. Shane Black never had any real mainstream recognition until bizarrely he did an Iron Man movie. Go figure. And okay, so Shane Black, who until uh, until well this like, until this century held the record, the Guinness World Record for the highest paid screenwriter ever mm. for the best action movie you've never seen, which was The Long Kiss Goodnight. Great film. Which is a fantastic Such movie. A good film. Epic movie. How much did he get paid for that? I forget. It's something. Wasn't it twelve million? Oh, something like that. Sure, something like that. Yeah. Anyway, great movie, great movie, so mm. worth seeing. So he's back now, and he's he's doing his Inception. He's doing his Chef. He's doing his. I've done the breakout mainstream hits. I'm now going to do my my own personal fancy project. And he's come back with the Nice Guys, which in a sense is like a retread of uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, but set in, in the seventies. Yeah. And what you've got is a pair of bickering, you know, completely opposite. Investigators, uh, Healy, who's played by Russell Crowe, who's a sort of slovenly middle-aged uh, enforcer type, and you've got March, who is a sort of younger, more handsome, uh, yet dishevelled single father, played by Ryan Gosling, and the pair are forced to team up to investigate the case of a missing girl whose disappearance is somehow tied to a porn film, which bizarrely seems to have serious political implications. We have a clip of Healy and March discussing the case for really the first time with March's daughter. Here you go. You're the guy who beat up my dad. Hey, no. Sucker punched your dad. Big difference. But don't worry. He just did it for money. You beat people up and charge money? Yeah. Sad, isn't it? That's really your job? Yeah. No way. Yeah. So, um, how much would you charge to beat up my friend Janet? What? How much you got? 30 bucks. Oh, 30 bucks. Apple pie. Is she a big girl? She's tall. All right, Super annoying. Apple pie. She's always mean to me. Just eat That's good. This conversation no is over. So, yes, it, it, the, the Shane Black dialogue remains as furtive as it ever has. Um, so, what you've got this time around to say is, is that period piece retread of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Now, I love Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I'm pretty sure you do as uh, well. I do indeed. Yeah. yeah. And what, what is the undeniable brilliance of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? What is it that makes that film? What, aside from uh, from Valley Kilmers? Aside from Valley's Kilmers, yeah. And uh, and Robert Downey's junior boy. Yeah, your boy, yeah. It was the chemistry between it's them. It's the chemistry between them. Yeah. And it's set in Christmas. And with with <laughs> all of the Shane Black films, he always seems to have two central performances. It is. And it's about chemistry. that partnership, isn't it? Yeah. Like, if you go back to films like Long Kiss Goodnight, uh, Last Boy Scout, Scout, even yeah. Iron Man 3 eventually Leaf goes weapon, to... of course. Yeah. Well, Lethal Weapon's the benchmark. Yeah. But even Iron Man 3 eventually goes to that we have to do it the does, bloody thing. It does, with yeah. Yeah. And so what you've got this time around is you've got probably the weakest one he's done yet, and it's not Ryan Gosling's fault, although he is playing it slightly too cartoony for his own good. Mm. It's actually Russell Crowe's, and he seems really just jarringly uncomfortable with it all. Like, he doesn't seem to want to handle the slovenly sort of Americana of it. He doesn't seem to want to handle the back-and-forth, rapid-fire, razor-sharp dialogue. And as a result, it feels really forced, and it feels weighed down on Crow's side. Even though Gosling isn't flawless, I will say, though, they are still enjoyable. The problem is, you do not care for either of these these detectives the way you would any of the ones who are featured in any other Shane Black movie. Mm. And that's... I mean, you, you care about Tony Stark in Iron Man 3 more than you care about either of these characters. Well, you care about Tony Stark yeah, more yeah, than I, mean, I know I personally do. I know I yeah, personally do. You would Stark. give him, like... 
his own personal bubble bath. I'd give him my pin. I'd give him my pin number. Yeah. But still. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, so it is also quite excessive as regards its innate Shane blackness. He's dialed up the slapstick here, and say it is like a slapstick. This is more of a comedy. Than um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. The weird part is that although it is more slapstick, it's less funny than Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. You will laugh, but you do kind of feel like it's floundering at times, particularly in the second act when you're supposed to be getting into the the you know the, the twisty turny detective aspects of it, the the who's crossing who side of it all, and you do feel we're kind of floundering a little bit. I don't know why. It feels like an A to B to C, but you keep going back to B every time you get mm. close to C. You just wander back to B. And that's a little bit of a problem. There's great supporting cast in there. You've got Keith David. You've got Kim Basinger. Say, there is, a, and uh, I forget the name of the, the teenage daughter. She's clearly a star in the making as well. Um, but it just feels like, I mean, because it's two, like two hours ten as well. And you do feel like if you'd locked a good half an hour out, pretty much the second act, you would have had a film that quite possibly could have been on par with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, but with slightly less in the way of of chemistry between the leads. I mean, the best compliment I can give it, really, is that I came out of it wanting to watch Kiss Kiss Bang Bang again. And frankly, if you've never seen, you know, KKBB, you should go and see it immediately, or at least when you've seen uh, The Nice Guys, which apparently everyone who's obsessed with Ryan Gosling will just go and do as default, you should immediately then go home and watch Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which frankly is a better film, although that's not to say this is a bad one, it's still a Shane Black film, and an average Shane Black film is still better than a lot of other people's films, so yeah, six of one, half a dozen of the other. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back and dancing, because how can you not when it's Star Wars Disco Fever? Right, so uh, let's talk about uh, Warcraft then. Well, get it right, Warcraft the beginning. No, in some cases it's Warcraft the beginning, in some it's just Warcraft. Warcraft. Yeah, it was just kind of just, yeah, it was like super glued on. Have you noticed that uh, Ghostbusters has one, by the way? We spoke about We, we saw we the did. trailer together. Did we oh, we did, didn't is we? That, is Ghostbusters that answered the call. Is that now official? I don't know. Because I saw a trailer before The Nice Guys, and it didn't have that and on. it didn't have it. The trailer we watched together, okay. that's what it said. So, Warcraft, uh, directed by Duncan Jones, based on apparently the biggest video game ever. Apart from Angry Birds. Apart from Angry Birds. Yeah. And it takes place in the magical kingdom of Azeroth, and follows a human named Lothar, and an orc named Dorma... Dormerton or something. Natalie Dormer. Natalie Dormer, who's played by Toby Kebble in motion capture, and Lothar is is Travis Fimmel from uh, Vikings. Vikings, Yeah, yeah. Who's also a former underwear model, and that he's going to come up later. Um, And basically, the orcs leave their dying. I'm not sure if it's dying homeworld or if they're just looking to conquer because the film doesn't ever really make it clear. And they go through a magic gateway to Azeroth, and they just start laying waste to the place. And the humans don't quite seem to know what's going on, but people seem to die. And they go and visit a magical guardian who tells them something and they meet a half-orc, half-human person called Gormiga or something, played by Paula Patton, and then they have to unite to face the orcs, but the orcs are having their own internal struggle because Dormathan doesn't like Gundar, the the evil leader of them all. They're apparently willing to follow him through the gateway. It doesn't make a whole heap of sense. And so there's an internal struggle within the orcs, and then the humans are fighting the orcs, and Here's a clip. You'll take us to them. No. You'll take us to them, or you'll end up like your friend in the cage. You think you're fearsome? 
What children have pets more fearsome than you? We are not trying to be fearsome grown-up. We're trying to protect our people, our families. If you help us, I give you my oath. You will have your freedom. That's uh, Dominic Cooper, by the way, there as King Lane. So King Lane. Yeah, right. This right. is one of the most contrived pieces of gobbledygook I've seen in quite some time. It reminded me an awful lot of... Do you remember that Dungeons & Dragons movie we got back in 2000? Uh, how could I forget? Yeah, with Justin yeah. Whalen and Marlon Wayans. <laughs> yeah, that movie that actually opened with a trailer for Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, and immediately reminded you a better fantasy film was to come. Uh, yeah, this is so bad. Um, this goes on for nearly two hours. It oh, Its first ten minutes feature a single character venturing between four completely contrivedly named kingdoms and a whole backstory of the orcs. There's set-up for sequels that go down the Moses-in-the-basket route. There are characters who are killed off, and then their parents apparently have forgotten about it within the 60 seconds. There are all these mechanics and machinations that you, quite frankly, can't keep up on. None of it has any heft. None of it has any weight. It all just looks like, frankly, a cutscene. And despite the, and not even despite the fact that it's actually subtitled "The Beginning" is actually quite fitting because mm. that's what the entire thing feels like—a beginning. It is all set up for a movie to come somewhere down the line mm. because there are so many threads left dangling by the end of it. You can't help but just look at it, come out and think. Borecraft, Game of Groans, Board of the Rings. I can't tell which one I'm going to run with. My favourite one. How long have you been writing those? No, I actually came up with them during the film because I was that bored. Uh, my favourite <laughs> one, though, comes courtesy of the dear Mr. Alan Frank, uh, who told saying? me the one I should use was Awkwardly Crap. Oh, which well, that's that, genius. I just think that's that's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Uh, no, bored out of my mind. Uh, frankly, Travis Fimmel had more of a role in an actual underwear commercial. There it is, as there, reference. There you go. And apparently, Rob Kaczynski uh, from uh, Pacific Rim. Apparently, he's um, Orkin Doomhammer or something. Great name. Who's who's a guy with a hammer? Which do, do they get named it? before they get the weapons, or do they just get net oh, weapons based on their names? Based on the names. Because what what would happen if your name was like Jeff Wetfish? Does that you, mean they'd you arm you up with a, a floppy kipper and send you out yeah, to battle? Yeah, it would be like a fish with spikes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah it would explode on impact. So let's move on to something better and talk about uh, Me Before You, uh, yes. which which stars Sam Claflin uh, and Amelia Clark, Clark and Matthew Lewis. Let's point out that it stars Matthew Lewis because nobody is advertising this. So this is uh, Hot Neville. This is Hot Neville. Hot Neville. So you've got Hot Daenerys. <laughs> Speaking of underwear models. Exactly. You've got Hot Daenerys, Hot whatever he is from Hunger Games. Finnick. Finnick. Hot, hot Finnick. Finnick and Hot Hot uh, Neville. And Charles Dance. And Charles Dance. <laughs> yeah. Hot Tywin. And, and Jenna Corbin's in there as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, <laughs> Amelia Clark. So, Dana- Daenerys uh, Targaryen, Stormborn, Mother of Dragons, Queen of uh, Marine. The, the Italian Stallion. Uh, yeah. Fun, fun from Down Under. Yeah. Ted Clubberlang. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Earthy She's universe, got so many names. She, there is, I think there's 36 names. Some of them. Uh, she is a young, uh, financially struggling girl. She's basically supporting her unemployed parents. She's laid off from her job at a cafe and takes a job as the carer for a quad, young quadriplegic man, played by Sam Claflin, mm. uh, who was killed. Who's not killed? Sorry, who was injured Spoiler. after? A, yeah, killed him. Uh, who was injured after a, a car accident? He's, he was very much an adventurer type, and he's emotionally and psychologically struggling mm. with his condition. And of course, the pair start to form a bond. It's advertised as a romance. It's really not. Here's a clip. Don't smile at me like that. Why not? Because I don't know what it means. Where did you pick up your exotic tastes? What do you mean by that? It can't be from around here. Why not? Because this is the kind of place people come to when they got tired of actually living. 
You should be out there, claiming the world is your own. Showing your leprechaun shoes to dodgy men. I like my life. You like everything. I'm happy here. Well, you shouldn't be. I was supposed to leave. I uh, had a place at Manchester. What were you going to study? Fashion. Uh, so why didn't you go? You know what I see when I look at you? Don't say potential. Potential. You need to widen your horizons, Clark. You only get one life. It's actually your duty to live it as fully as possible. First of all, she's really good in this. Uh, she is really yeah, good. Yeah, I've heard that. I really like him as well. He's very good in it too. Yeah. He he's, has... he's kind of my favourite of those, like, um, uh, Douglas Booth, Max Iron, Ed Redmayne yes, types. Exactly he's definitely that. my favourite. That's where I was going to go yeah. with it. He's, yeah, he, he's emerging as the best one of the bunch. She has a lot of that sort of... Do you remember uh, the Bridget Jones movies? Uh, that when, when In the few moments that Renee Zellweger is actually likeable in them, because she does basically the girl Hugh Grant thing. Essentially, That's, yeah. Oh, so charmingly befuddled. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just so affable. <laughs> with, with, her, with her floppy hair. Um, it, it's that <laughs> without the awful accent. Mm. Sustained. And she's really good and she's really, really likeable. Mm. But the actual thing is the story is really well developed. And I, I, I've not read the, the novel, which apparently is um, quite, it's quite a Cassie is halfway through it. Oh, she is. Oh, yeah. You, you might want to. You don't want to stock up on some Kleenex. Pal. She she knows what's going on. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, it, 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 hey, it is not the Marley and me that you think it is. It really, really? isn't. It really is not. It goes into a zone she, I did not. She did expect. not care for Marley and me. Did like, she, not? she she was just like oh. I, pre- I predicted it. The, but the, I still the, the wept dead, like whatever. a schoolgirl at the end. Did you? Yeah, but uh, <laughs> you know. Anyway, so no, I really liked it. Great sporting cast. Um, Matthew Lewis, I actually think, because he plays the douche boyfriend and mm. he does it really well, but in a way where you still can kind of see where he's coming from. And there is a, there is a certain line that gets a certain emotional line that yeah. he perceives to have been crossed that you think actually I completely sympathise with that character. And I usually hate that character in these kind of films. Mm. The douche boyfriend is always unlikable, and he manages to make him quite sympathetic. Um, I, I I really I, I fell for it. I quite liked it. I did find that when it needed to force certain plot elements, it lost its naturalism. Mm. It did lose the the sort of the flow and the pace that was making it work to that point. But that is all third act stuff. And frankly, the film is so likable by that point that you are kind of willing to just let it just sail by it. Yeah. and get to the sort of the, the end that it so obviously needs to have. Mm. Uh, no, I did like it. I liked it quite a lot. It is not film of the week, though. <gasps> it is okay. not film of the week. Is race. I'm giving it to race because when I thought it was going to be Warcraft. No, 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 not Warcraft. Um, no, race. I really loved race. I really loved Stephen James in race, mm. and I really liked uh, Jason Sudeikis. I thought it was a tremendous film. I think if it had been directed by anyone else, it would have been a solid Oscar. Been up there. It yeah. really would have. If it had been Antoine Fuqua, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Uh, so it was a Fuqua film. If it was a Fuqua film. Um, so <laughs> yeah, but when Jason Sudeikis' role would have been played by Denzel. Oh no, no, no. Jason Sudeikis yeah. would have been Ethan Hawke if it had been Antoine oh, yeah, Fuqua. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Or you know, worse, Gerard Butler. But uh, let's uh, let's look at what we've got next week because it's an interesting bunch. Next week we've got Sadakis again in Mother's Day. Different kind of film. <laughs> Very different kind of film. Yeah. That poor guy. Yeah. Um, we've got uh, Melissa McCarthy coming back. She's she's the boss this time, in which yeah. she looks strangely like Stockard Channing. Do, do, do you think that? Oh man, that would have been great casting as her mum. That kind of would have been great. Uh, we've got Michael Moore returning with Where to Invade next. I've heard good things about that. It for two and a half hours. Yeah. Um, we've got. They all do. Uh, we've all got do. Miracles from Heaven with Jennifer Garner and uh, Martin Henderson. Probably going to skip that. Yeah, we've yeah. got uh, Ben Kingsley in Learning to Drive. And Fire at Sea, which I know very little about. You're confusing it with the Julie Walters thing, aren't you? No, I'm not. No? When did that. When was that made? 
Learning to drive. I don't know offhand. Has that got? I think it's been around a while. Is it? Uh, has it got Patricia Clarkson? It has. It? Yes. That was made about three years ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was. I remember seeing it, but I think I, I thought I was getting it confused with driving lessons with Rupert Grint. Yeah. No. But, uh, that's very old. That film. That is very old. Yeah, but finally. it's it's finally getting a release next okay. week, along with Fire at Sea, which means we finally get to review it. Mm. But uh, well, you know, all that to come and more next week off screen. Uh, this has been a Caddy Store production for on screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been as always Case Allen, and we'll be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Okay, Podcast extras, Mr. Allen. Oh, you know what we didn't talk about, incidentally? Because um, we actually covered a Shane Black film and we've not covered this, which drives me odd. Oh, he's, yeah. he's talked about The Predator, hasn't he? Um, and he's he's said, do you know what? It's closer into sort of scale scale and tone to aliens. I'm like, yes. I thought we were going to talk about some different Shane Black. Oh, oh, we've got the other one as well. We'll which talk is... about that. But yeah, the, yeah, that's yeah, so really that's, interesting. That's, that's very cool. I'm kind of intrigued by that because yeah. yeah, that's kind of the Predator movie we always wanted. So this is going to be called The Predator. The Predator, and it's is it uh, March or January 2018? Something yeah, like something like that. But yeah, Shane Black news. Doc Savage, take it away. Okay, so um, The Rock hasn't announced a new film for 16 hours. 16 hours. Oh, yeah, was... which is a bit of a rock 15 and a half. Let's, so, get, it, yeah, let's get, so it accurate. get it right. <laughs> Yeah, so he, he was courted to play Doc Savage by Shane Black. Shane Black has written it, and I believe he's going to direct it after. Yes, that's Predator. the idea. And because Rock was like, "What? Someone wants me for a film? Yeah, I can do that." He is now officially signed on. <laughs> I have I have Monday and Tuesday week after next. Let's do that. Can we make a feature length film but in that time? He's cool. literally making forty three films. <laughs> but it's not hyperbole. Literally forty three films. I feel I, I feel like he met Eric Roberts in a bar once. <laughs> just had a bet. And Eric Robert and Eric Roberts said to him, Look, kid, don't try and challenge me. I've been in hundred and fifty movies. <laughs> I've voiced and, cats. And Dwayne Johnson said, You know what, Eric? You're on. I'm gonna do hundred and fifty by the end of next year. And I feel like that's how we've. I, I feel like that's it. His entire career is an attempt to stick it to Eric Roberts. I think so. But... I just imagined a feud between The Rock and Eric oh, Roberts. I would love to see that. That's a pay per view fight. I would pay for. Really um, would. But uh, the actual character of Doc Savage, pretty pretty darn interesting. Do you, you know about Doc yeah, Savage? I know that he's a '30s adventurer. Essentially, yeah, he's a bit yeah. bit indie as in Indiana Jones. I know that's the whole um, template. Yeah, um, he was the kind of basis for Superman. Oh, really? Yeah. I have heard that as well. Yeah. Man of Bronze, as Barack uh, keeps saying. Uh, first name is, is Clark. Really? Yeah, so that's where. The thing I love is I, I, I got contacted by my friend Steve, uh, who asked, Are they remaking Back to the Future? I went, What? No. And he went, But I just heard that The Rock is, is going to play like The Doc. <laughs> I'm like, No, 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 no. no that's not how this works. He's, he's playing a different Doc. There are many Docs. Doc Hollywood, exactly. <laughs> Rock is Doc. Oh. Rock is Doc Hollywood. Although you know, if you are yeah. going to remake Back to the Future, you yeah. know. <laughs> who would you cast as Doc Brown? Doc Brown now. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Bradley Whitford. That's not bad. It's not terrible, is it? So I, I just came I, off the top of my head. I would go older in English. I would go Jim Broadbent. Ooh, that would work. I don't, no, I don't know if he's zany enough. I don't know the whole thing with Doc Brown. It's pretty zany. The whole thing with casting Christopher Lloyd was that they they got you someone. Well, he, he, well, the thing is, he he was actually so much younger than we all think he was when he did it. Yeah, and he kind of had and, to be. And now he just to looks, play the different yeah. ages. Yes, absolutely. because Doc Brown is a very Asian on specific character. Considering, what? How old is he meant to be in 1985? Hmm. Is he? I can't tell if he's meant to be like seventy or fifty. He kind of looks like about sixty 
in first Back to the Future. But he, still kind of looks like that in the 50s. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Kind of, kind of an angel's dude. Let's let, let's talk about another old white man then. Uh, so Anthony Hopkins turns <laughs> up this week in uh, Misconduct, along with Al Pacino, which should be an amazing thing. But it's not. <laughs> and and right, so what you've got is this is a legal thriller. This is a legal thriller starring Josh Demel as this sort of young, hungry, desperate to prove himself lawyer, who meets up with an old an old girlfriend through the magic of social media. Played by Al Pacino. Played by Al Pacino, who seduced that. That would be an amazing movie. <laughs> oh, I'd watch that. <laughs> watch that movie. <laughs> Draw me like one of your French girls. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, man. Why am I imagining Al Pacino in fishnets? I've just got like just Al Pacino in a uh. basket of fishnets in my head, and it's not an image you want, I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> so he meets up with an ex-girlfriend, played by uh, Malin Ackerman. Of all people, and and she's rocking the crazy eyes in this. Just trust me. Okay. And she's like a crazy ex-girlfriend. He meets up with behind his wife's back because they lost a child recently, and she works nights, and so he feels a little distant and everything. So he goes out for a drink with his ex-girlfriend. Before you know it, you know he's he's, he's laying the mac down, and um and he he. <sighs> You know how most of us do the, the you know the walk of shame with nothing but a look of somewhat disappointment and a need to brag. Well, Josh Demel gets to do that, you see, with uh, with the added perk of having a flash drive which contains confidential information about the dealings of Arthur Dennings, who happens to be his ex girlfriend's current boyfriend and the head and employer and the head of a evil pharmaceutical company whom nobody has been able to, you know, entrap for legal wheelings and dealings. And uh, before you know it, before you can prosecute this case, which is going to be his first big case, you know that requisite first yeah. big case. You know, <laughs> Got to start somewhere. Yeah, tr- trademark Ryan Gosling, Chris O'Donnell. Every Every yeah. young actor ever. Um, before he can do all that, he, he finds himself framed for her murder, and uh, well, goes kind of goes on the run, and yet still somehow has to prosecute the. I don't know. Here's a clip. She had her issues, but it's not like I can't. Issues? Yeah. You broke her heart. She threatened suicide. That's not normal. I I remember some pretty manipulative. I'm actually impressed when your age knows how to use social media. Oh really? Yeah. Is that right? You accept the frontal quest, didn't you? So what if I did? Your wife's at 12. Yeah. She's far more attractive than you. She's far more intelligent than you. Frankly, you don't deserve her. Yeah. Well... Okay, and don't break the only good thing in your life. I'm not breaking anything. Charlie and I are fine. All right? I love my wife. Yeah, we've had a rough year, but you know what? I'm not going to mess it up over some stupid friend request. Just keep talking to your ex. Keep talking, Emily. I think it's a good idea. You're going to spend your 4 a.m.s drunk eating burritos over the sink. I mean, the, the fact that you've got two grown men talking about social media is, is, kind of tells you the sort of patronising nature that you're working with here. So on paper, the idea of writing a legal thriller and sticking Anthony Hopkins and Al Pacino in it, it's just gangbusters. You can't deny that. It's gangbusters. Um, in execution, however, the result is bizarrely tepid. And this is helped in no way by Josh Demel, who is basically the Poundland Timothy Oliphant. <laughs> uh, no, he is who, who himself is a Batman Tim Fjallfond exactly yeah. and uh, I say it's it's just this whimper of a performance at the centre of it all you just mm. you just look at the I don't get is your mission here to be just as ineffectual as possible I mean there is this, there's a borderline it's got the most unintentionally hilarious spanking you've ever seen in a in a mainstream <laughs> film I'm trying to think of my top five top five <laughs> top cinematic five. spankings yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> it has just got. I think it's because it comes so clearly out of the blue. Yeah. But um, it's I say you've got a little bit of energy being injected by Marlon Ackerman, you know, with her whole crazy eyes thing. But obviously, for the nature of the plot, she's not around for very long. And then, of course, you've got Alice Eve, who rocks up as Josh Duell's wife, and. I can't tell what her function in this film is because it seems she seems to be playing a woman who's recently been diagnosed with terminal bitch face mm. and and like she's suffering it's like pretty serious she, affliction. she's in pain yeah. because of the medical side effects of terminal bitch face and and yeah she's just so unlikable mm. and oh and then okay so you got Al Pacino who's doing that uh, I am calm but ominous performance that he does occasionally. You sounded more like Anthony Hopkins. Did, did, well, so no, Anthony <laughs> Hopkins. Sorry, I'm, I'm calm and ominous uh, thing that he's been doing <laughs> a lot. Pacino's lately. never been calm and no, ominous. No, You've Al seen Pacino. Devil's Advocate. Exactly. No. So that's what Hopkins is doing. Al Pacino's going for Southern Gentleman TM, Ooh. which you know he did that periodically in The Devil's Advocate. Oh, he kind of slipped into. You it. gotta try the case, son. Then, if that was fully intentional, it wasn't intentional. No, no, nothing Al Pacino does is intentional. intentional. Like, I don't think he—he's—I he, don't know who's piloting his brain ship in this film, but they're drunk behind the wheel. That's the only <laughs> thing I can say. Um, it has no impact as a film. It has just the thinnest. Faintest resemblance of something go, you know, resembling me- memento, mm. uh, memento, momentum, and it's it's just just dull. I'm just watching it, <laughs> thinking this is just some stuff. There's no this makes no things, sense. Things are happening. Yeah, so let's let's go with let's go with the Walking Dead description stuff. Things, you know, it's, it's just that it's poorly acted. It's it's clearly destined to just exist in streaming libraries. It's you know what it is. It's that it's that content that studios sort of shunt along with other content. Like you know, if you want to if you want to sign a licensing agreement with Disney and you want to buy like the big releases, you have to buy all their crap ones as well. So in order to have Aladdin, you have to have Return of Jafar and Prince of Thieves as well. Mm. Prince of Thieves? King of Thieves. King of Thieves, one. yeah. Yeah, it's like that. They've done this, so I'm presumably, this is Lionsgate, they've presumably done this, they say, you know what, if you want the, the, the rights to stream Hunger Games, you have to have this, this, and misconduct. <laughs> Just take it. I figure that's what this film exists for, because it's released in this country by Lionsgate Premiere, whom I presume are actually their VOD division. So that's clearly where this is ending up. And it's an awful example of just that. Remember when, about a year or so ago, there was a serious argument that VOD was going to be where the serious up-and-coming talent was going to come mm. from. And this is just a return to the old way. VOD was where you went for your career to die. And since Demel has been in more than his share of these, you'd think he would goddamn well know better. What was that one, Fire with Fire, that he was in a couple of years ago? Oh, Bruce Willis. And, yeah, with Bruce Wilson, uh, was it Rosario Dawson? Dawson? Yeah. yeah. Well, funny story about that film. That came out, what, about two summers ago? Longer than that. Well, I was still living in Cardiff, so at least four. Oh, no, no. I think you were in Sheffield at the time. Right. Really? The, the reason I remember this, it had been around for ages and then it got cinematic release. And the reason I remember this film so clearly, other than the fact it starred Josh Demel, yeah. was because at the beginning of the year, I had sat down and had coffee with our regional Warner Brothers rep, who at the time was the lovely Louise. Mm. I don't know if you remember her. Maybe. And, uh, and it was, <laughs> she was taking me through the films they had coming out. It came out after The Hangover 3. So you were definitely around. I wasn't. Were you not? No. Oh, okay. Um, and she was taking me through. So we got Hangover Three. We got Incredible Burt yeah. Wonderstone, and we've got Oh Fire with Fire. And I remember <laughs> her telling me, 
it, it, we don't expect it to do particularly well, but we think it might make 60 grand or so. And you think, okay, so clearly your expectations <laughs> on it are low as well. Pretty low. And then you saw the film and you thought, actually, 60 grand was probably really optimistic. <laughs> yeah. and you look at this film and you presume it to be a similar proposition. Like, this has clearly only been dumped out to <clears throat> maybe pull in a good 60 grand or so. Yeah. No, there's no way you have faith in this as a film. No. It's actually insulting that this has actually been even considered to be put into UK cinemas because it suggests the level of just complete apathy uh, its its distributors have for the audience. But, uh, yeah. So speaking of, well, speaking of apathy, we will do the Adam Sandler movie next. But let's have some bits some of film news. Some films. Some films. Some Lighten it up a bit. Okay, I'll, on, you I'll, take I'll, I'll take one. You take one. Give me, give me okay. something, Case. Do you know that guy, Lin-Manuel Miranda? Yes, I do know him. Um, <laughs> he is quite a success story. Right he, now. he is a bit. So currently he's got the show uh, called Hamilton right now. I, apparently a couple people really like Hamilton. Quite a few. He's got how many Tony nominations? He's like, <laughs> got all of them. The record yeah, holder, he's a record holder yeah. for Tony nominations. Like but this actually is, this is a contemporary musical about Alexander Hamilton. Yes, it is. And it's done really, really well. And everybody cannot wait for it to be into a film. But that is not the film news. No. No. Uh, he did have a previous musical that also did really well. Not as well as Hamilton, but it was called In the Heights. Have you heard of it, In the Heights? Uh, I've heard of it. I know nothing of it. Okay. So it's set in kind of like a Manhattan slum, mm-hmm. uh, populated by people from uh, the Dominican Republic. And his his character uh, is someone that is basically being forced to move back to the Dominican Republic. His he's shop has Puerto been closed Rican. down. Yeah, but his his character. Oh, okay. he's, yeah. say, he's, he's Puerto Rican, isn't he? Because I, I watched a, a last week tonight special about him. Yeah, he. Yeah. yeah, he he is, but his yeah. his character. Um, yeah, his shop has been forced to close down because of like rent prices and stuff. And basically, he's kind of struggling with the idea of having to move back. And this is a musical as well. And this is a musical that did really, really well. But mm-hmm. basically, it was set up. I think it was set up maybe like Universal or somewhere. But basically, so we're going to get a film. We're going to get a film of it. And the Weinstein uh, Company has now bought the rights to it. Oh and well. Are fast tracking it for. Awards for Oscars for everything that Harvey wants. Yeah, everything Harvey wants, Harvey, Harvey gets. gets. But yeah, that's pretty exciting because I'm kind of just in the mindset of he should just do everything. Yeah, he's going to be involved in the film, presumably, as well. Though. That's what we've said, yeah, mm. but he's also. I mean, this is a bit of a segue. This, this is the segue, yeah. So there was going to be a Mary Poppins sequel. There was, there was I and now there is. There is. It's going to be called uh, Mary Poppins Returns. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob Marshall brought us uh, Into the Woods, Chicago, mm-hmm. bunch of musicals. He's going to be at the helm. Uh, Emily Blunt is going to be Mary Poppins. How do you not get Jim Austin? But never mind. <laughs> and Lin, Man- Lin Manuel Miranda. Mm-hmm. It never gets easier to say that name. No, it doesn't. LMM. LMM. He is basically going to be the Dick Van Dyke style character. He's not going to be. He's not going to be Bert. Isn't he a lantern? A lamp lighter. Lamp lighter. That's it. Called Jack. Jack. Okay, well, you know what? He's a really likable guy, and he's a good dude. He he is the reason I am now excited about it. You you want to go see a musical? It's mad. I really want to see Hamilton. I really, really do. I know. Well, get, get in line, buddy. I know. Apparently, you can't get tickets to save your, save your life. He actually no. tried uh, bribing Congress with Hamilton tickets. Did you know yeah. this? Yeah. Tried bribing them to, to do something about the situation, the economic situation in Puerto Rico. He has actually said, look, I will give I you Hamilton tickets. tickets. Yeah. Genuine. You can have all if the Hamilton tickets you want. <laughs> He's probably the only guy in the world that can get them. Um, I've got a bit of film news that, that kind of this that right. kind of annoyed me. Hit me up. Actually. Uh, Brian Fuller. 
Yeah, okay. Yeah. So the, the showrunner for, for Hannibal and... Pushing Daisies Pushing da- and the new Star, Star Trek. Trek. Yep. Yeah. Well, he's also the producer of the newly... One of the producers on the uh, newly announced uh, Friday the 13th relaunch reboot. Yeah. And he has declared that uh, Jason's origin will now be altered. Why? Jason <laughs> Voorhees' origin will be a new take... Obviously, Pamela will be there, but we're going to do a different thing. It's going to be a different take. And you're like, I don't think you get what you're supposed to do with horror remakes and what you're not supposed to do. Yeah. Generally speaking, tinkering with the bits that work, not the thing you're supposed no, no. to do. No, no, don't do that. No, that's why the Nightmare on Elm Street film kind of missed the point. Yeah. But uh, you got something, go on. Um... Ready Player One. Ooh. We're excited about this. We are. I got some casting. Is this, this our man? This is our man. This is our boy. 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 TJ Miller is going to be in it. That is great. And he's essentially playing an internet troll. Yes. Which is like, Imagine that. Yeah. Shocker. Do you watch Silicon Valley? I've watched the first season. I really loved it. Okay. I, I'm I'm on the third, and yeah. his, his character is actually really getting something to do now. And okay. It's it's a very interesting time to be a TJ Miller fan. Uh, particularly he's, now he's, he's getting some good films. roles. Yeah, I mean, like after Deadpool. after Deadpool, yeah. it was a great kind of foil, and that was. An, and <laughs> I can't was. wait to see him in the next one. Uh, I, I wish go. I could come with you, but I don't. <laughs> but uh, let's see what else we got. Um, oh, oh, oh! Hang on, right? There's a Melissa McCarthy film. Uh, this yeah. is uh, "Can You Ever Forgive Me?" It's yes. Called. So Julianne Moore was going to be in it. Yeah, it, yeah, it was yes. going to be Julianne yeah, Moore. Yeah. She left over creative differences. So. The Kingsman sequel was yeah yeah the Kingsman sequel was too damn good yeah. Yeah. Um, this is going to be the, the memoir of Lee Israel hmm. um, and this is a really interesting I did not know this story it's a really interesting story um, Lee Israel was a a successful profile writer whose work started to sort of fall out of favour and uh, she got her way sort of back into the limelight by suddenly uh, suddenly coming into possession of uh, the letters, the personal letters and writings of deceased stars and celebrities and writers and things. And, of course, she was faking them. Mm. But when suspicion started to mount, she started robbing them from library <laughs> archives. Oh, and wow. it sounds really... So Melissa McCarthy is going to play this. And it's a really interesting story. Mm. That's <clears> a different... <throat> Different kind of role for her as well. It is. Yeah, I, I don't know if Parker. having Melissa McCarthy in there means they can now go more outwardly comedic with it, or when they had Julianne Moore, was it going to be more of a black comedy? Or it, it's an interesting one because you can't quite tell with it being Melissa McCarthy. Mm, it'd be interesting to see what they do mm, because yeah. the boss isn't quite what you think it is. No, I've heard but, that. Uh, have you got another one? Uh, I'm, I'm, I, queuing, I'm queuing mine. So I do. Alternate. I well, I've I've got. I guess it's sort of news. Go on, it's a bit, it's a bit of a rumour. In fact, I've got two. So, uh, for Ragnarok. Oh, yeah, 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 I like this. I like okay, this Okay, so there's a storyline called, well, it's a series of comics called Planet Hulk. Yes, there's also yeah. an animated movie. Yes, uh, that, adapts it's, it. that is on Netflix. It's really good, isn't it? It's you pretty damn it? good. It's really I good. I it. It is the plot of Gladiator with Hulk. And that's just, that's essentially what I was going to say. That's fine. That's, that's it. So Hulk's <laughs> that's got this amazing, like, shoulder armour His arm sheath. His arm sheaf, yeah, <laughs> and rumor has it they're going to incorporate elements of that into, into Ragnarok. Into Ragnarok, and this is where Jeff Goldblum's character comes in because mm-hmm. he's basically going to be sort of like the head of the games, the well. grandmaster, the grandmaster. I wonder which is if cool. because I like famously the uh, the Planet Hulk storyline sees as part of his gladiator thing, he's injected with alien nanotechnology, which mm. actually increases the cerebral intellect of the Hulk to the point that he can speak. Oh wow! And I'm wondering if that's yeah, okay. how you get Mark Ruffalo 
in the film more as the Hulk mm. rather than just sort of mute CG creation. <laughs> yeah, just punching but, things. Yeah, apparently uh, Thor will also get his head shaved at some point. That's a, Oh, yeah, bit. that's another... Oh. Yeah, that should be interesting. I think a lot of people are going to be sad about that. Well, funny story. Planet Hulk does feature a point in which Hulk is made to fight Beta Ray Bill, who is another Asgardian. Oh, so I figure I they'll just... see that in I film. think they're just going to dump Thor in that spot. Replace Beta Ray Bill with just put, Thor put and have, ha- have them face off. And, uh, yeah, so... Interesting one. Kind of crushing it right now, aren't they? We, they kind of are. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I got to, speaking of uh, of crushing and bashing and hitting. We're all about segways today. We are. Let's talk about Mike Tyson. So. Not where I thought you were going to go. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike Tyson, arguably probably the most famous box, most famous non-fictional boxer of the last thirty years. Really, I'd say. Mm. I'd say he's the most internationally known. Hey. Surely. Um, well, he has joined the cast of an upcoming film. And it's a franchise film. It's not a franchise you'd expect. It's a sequel. A sequel to a reboot slash remake. And, yeah, you look really confused. Wait for this one, because the first movie hasn't even opened yet. So the movie is Kickboxer Vengeance, right, which comes out this September and stars uh, Alan Mousset, uh, Gina Carano, Jean-Claude Van Damme, and and Dave Bautista. And it's it's a remake, effectively, of Kickboxer. Van Damme is now the mentor. We've already got a sequel being made. It is filming now. And I, I know. They are quick off the mark, aren't they? They really are. And uh, the sequel is going to start Alan Mousset again. But this time he's going to be facing off against the mountain from Game of Thrones. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And the girl in the sequel is going to be Paige Van Zandt, the uh, UFC yeah. fighter, who is, is not exactly unpleasant on the eyes, if we're honest. And uh, Mike Tyson is going to join this film, which is currently filming in Vegas and is going to move to Thailand soon. Um, he's gonna, he's going to be a uh, a fighter in a prison boxing uh, tournament. Okay. And, yeah. Really? Tyson's getting actual acting roles? This is... Well, kind of odd. I mean, he's, he's, he's going to be boxing. It's not, not really departure. Is, is he? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yes, Tyson's going to be in that. So go figure. But weird. Yeah, I am on, looking forward on to some, it. On some pretty weird news, uh, Simon Kimberg. Yeah, go on. What's he yeah. done now? So he said that Fantastic Four is still on the slate. Fantastic Four two. Yeah, we're still going to have a sequel. We are uh, never seeing Fantastic Four two. I <laughs> know. Fan Forstick. Fan Forstickier. Fan Yeah, he said it's still on schedule, and he said, uh, well, he's basically given a reason as to why the first one didn't work. What would you say it is? What would you say the reason why it didn't work was? What, what uh, would you, how did it get to? It was a dark, morbid, depressing, low energy, and uninvolving piece of That's shit. essentially what he said, but just more democratically. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, he just said tone. He said we shouldn't have really, <laughs> we shouldn't have gone for the whole body horror Cronenberg esque thing. Oh, hang on, he said do you mean, do you two... mean, do you mean they should actually have made the thing they were supposed to be making, which was a Fantastic Four movie? Yeah, where for they should the have been a family that kind of look out and care for each other and not be crazy camp like so the other you mean ones, but like the Fantastic Four, like the Fantastic Four. Oh, I didn't realise that. Basically, they missed the mark. Oh, I, I just, I, you know, I, I just assumed it was, it was quite difficult to take, you know, a franchise which was about one thing, <laughs> and make it be about that thing. I assumed <laughs> there was a great degree of difficulty in that. But wow, who would have uh, thought it was so easy to get thing. that wrong? Uh, you know, how is that not a thing? Well, <laughs> what the? You know, Kinberg can do one. He really, I am really tired of Simon Kinberg. He's, he's got. 
he's got his fingers in a lot of pies as well. A lot, know, a lot of pies that we like to eat. This before. is what happened with David Goya. David yeah. Goya started getting involved in too many things, too many franchise things, too many things that people cared about, and as a result, he just started to mess all of them up. Mm. And then, and and David Goyer is is truly awful to listen to in an interview. Listen to him when he talks about. He's he, got some opinions. He, he makes himself one of the geek boys, and then in the next breath, will defend the end of Man of Steel because that's the true Superman. No, it's not, Dave. No, it's not. Go away. Yeah. Uh, speaking of people, we wish that would go away. Let's talk about Adam Sandler then. And the yeah, let's over, talk about it. Which uh, this is Adam Sandler's latest Netflix film, and we are to treat it as a theatrical release. This is this is the problem. And uh, no, it's okay. a flaming bag of garbage. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. This is like which a, is a plot point in what was it? Billy Madison. There you go. <laughs> like uh, this is a, this is actually more like you know that brown juice that accumulates at the bottom of your bin when it's been emptied. This is more like that. It's more like that. Represented as a near two-hour comedy, also known as the thing that comes off of Louise Guzman's. Let's <laughs> go with that. Which is actually a plot in point. The film, plot right? Point. Okay, so this is this is the story of a middle-aged man played by D- David Spade. So you know you're already tuned out. And uh, basically, David Spade is a loser whose life is really miserable and only made worthwhile by the presence of Adam Sandler. Now, that's not just his biography, that's actually the plot of the film. Can you say a loser again, but say it like Marky Mark? Loser. You're a loser. <laughs> you're a loser. <laughs> you, I saw you eating lunch alone, you're a loser. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> yeah, so David Spade's a loser whose life's only a loser whose life is only worthwhile when Adam Sandler's around, yeah. which is as much a statement of David Spade as it is the character in the film. Uh, Adam Sandler runs into him at his high school reunion. Adam Sandler is a character called Max Kessler, who goes by the nickname Maxi Pad. So you can mm. imagine where that gag very quickly it's, goes. It's a name he gives himself as well. A name he gives himself, yeah. and he reconnects with his childhood best friend. They find out that neither of their lives are entirely, you know, as fulfilling as they want, as Adam Sandler puts it so delicately, let maxi pad soak up your pain. And I know, it's so bad. And before you know it, Adam Sandler, who's an FBI agent, so he owns a boat, takes David Spade, because that's a thing, takes David Spade away on a boy's weekend, and fakes their deaths by roofing David Spade and blowing up the boat, and they take on a pair of other identities who, of course, are also in deep trouble. And so the two identities they've assumed are also being hunted for some reason. And they find themselves fugitives, and they're in South America because that's where Sandler wanted to take a holiday this week. And Louise Guzman turns up, and Paula Patton's there. And here's a clip. I, I couldn't care less. You know why I'm not going to kill you? Because you're already dead. Huh? I did it, Charlie. I pulled off the greatest magic act of all time. I made us disappear. Wait, you did what? I faked our deaths. Charlie, look at this. I maxed out all my credit cards, cash advance. $62,000. Dead people don't have to pay their bills. So Amex can blow me, and you wanted a passport. You are officially now Dr. Ronald P. Fishman, world traveler. Yeah, I'm getting really tired of of saying these words, but this is actually a new career low for uh, 
Adam Sandler. I mean, Didn't you say that about uh, The Ridiculous Six? I did say The Ridiculous Six. And funnily enough, this is the least amusing comedy since The Ridiculous Six. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those things that you just watch it and just think, like, inter- how, how long can international appeal really keep someone's career alive? And because Adam Sandler has just given up even trying to be funny at this stage. Um, as, as far as David Spade goes, I just... I can't wrap my... Why? Why? Because Kevin James was busy. Because Kevin, Kevin James... He's got a show coming up or something. I, I don't know. I don't care anymore. I just want this to stop. And it's not going to. He's got another two films on his Netflix contract to sign up for yeah, four and, theatrical and films. Michael Chiklis turns up, and Catherine Hahn turns up, and Catherine Hahn is better than Catherine Hahn's better than this. Way better than this. And then uh, the, the, the most weird bit of all is there is this Sean Astin cameo in it. I thought he was Steve Zahn. I, I told him because, yeah. because he doesn't even get a close up. That's how underserved he, he is. You just kind of see the hair, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's probably and, Steve Zahn. And there is there is a sequence because it's, it's the lowest common denominator. It's a film. It's, it's a near two near two hour comedy, whose central premise is the fear of gay. It's, it's just gay panic. That's it. It's, it's the fear of male intimacy and this this innate embrace of gay panic. I mean, there's a there, there's a gag early on in which uh, David Spade, having faked his death, mm. um, encounters his wife, played by Natasha Leggero, who's an otherwise perfectly fine comedic performer. He walks in and finds her pegging Sean Astin. And I, I can't help <laughs> but think it kind of sums up the film that you'd much rather be anally violated by Natasha Leggero than sit through any more of the film. And it's only about 20 minutes in at that point. Mm. It's just gas. In fact, do you know what? Let's let's sum this up the old-fashioned way. Oh, God! Oh, God! Oh! Yes, it's terrible. It's bloody yes, awful. Yes, Brad, yes. It's, it's just dreadful. It is the worst kind of... Oh, you just watch it and you just think... Is it me? Am, am I out of touch? Do I not get comedy anymore? And actually, I don't think you're out of touch. I think it's him. I think it's Adam Sandler because how, how is it that his comedy was more intelligent and evolved in the mid-90s than this? What happened? With the silly voices and songs. And... Yeah. I am a simple coach. You know, what, <laughs> yeah. what happened? <laughs> Stop looking at me, swan. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, it, it, I can't believe we live in a day and age in which we can look back on Big Daddy as Adam Sandler's comedic nadir. Yeah. What the actual hell is going on? Like, when a new one comes out, I still want to think there are films of his that I used to like as a kid. And as part of us, like, he might try and recapture that, but every time a film like this comes out, it gets harder and harder and harder to think that way. I mean, Do you know he, what I mean? Yeah. Just... His entire... I mean, the, 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 script, the script is written by two relative newcomers to Adam Sandler. They've never written for Adam Sandler before. Okay. And their names, I've got them written down. Kevin Barnett and Chris Pappas. And By the way, the director of this is the director of Little Nicky and mm. Mr. Deeds. Yeah. So Stephen Brill. I don't mind Mr. Deeds. No, no that's what I mean. Right. Not, not especially bad Adam Sandler films, but no. he has somehow helmed this as well. And you've got these two writers, they're sort of newcomers to Adam Sandler, and it just seems like they've been there all along because they just fit seamlessly into the Adam Sandler machine as it so were. Pretty easy. I feel like we could write Adam Sandler films. I, I, feel, like, I feel like it's just done by an app. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like there's an IFTT uh, program it's like, that just... It's like Dick Joke Mad Libs, isn't it? You just it is. It is Dick Joke Mad Libs. Exactly yeah. that. Um, that's the other thing as well because uh, any attempt to write the female ca- 
attempt to write the female characters in the film is really just an inevitable spin on bitches be loco. That's you're it, like, yeah. You're like, so, uh, well, no, no, this, this is fine in 93. This is not fine in 2016. Yeah, 23 years um, later. Is it, is it Paula Patton that is... Paula Patton is... Oh, she's the Poundland Zoe Saldana. She really is. After Warcraft as and well. And after Warcraft. Put it this yeah. way, it, it's very telling that you, know, you you genuinely just look at this week and just think, I I can't tell which film Paula Patton's worse in, but... Um, is she bad in them or is she just in bad films? She's both bad in them and, and in, in bad, bad films. films. It's um, a bad combination. But put it this way, it is starting to seem incredibly um, incredibly possible that she may have been the less talented one in the relationship when she was married to Robin Thicke. Don't say things we can't say back now, man. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm just saying, it seem, it's he's starting a, to scumbag. seem possible. It really is. But uh, no, this is uh, it's so, so bad. I mean, you watch it and you just stare blankly at it. Yeah. Didn't you make it, didn't you tell you made it through nine minutes? Made through nine minutes. I managed to add an extra minute onto that this morning, <laughs> and then I just skipped forward. Now I to see various points. I checked the clock when I was watching it, yeah. and the opening sequence meeting Adam Sandler, uh, David Spade meeting the Adam Sandler, school reunion. Yeah, yeah, that actually takes the first twelve minutes. So yeah, I, yeah, I figure you yeah. tapped out around then, which is pretty, pretty poor, really, isn't it? Really it really is, isn't it? Yeah, I was, really... I was a wuss. I was a wuss. It just. Wasn't I mean? It, the best part is it doesn't make a lick of sense. And by the time you get to Louise Goodman's testicular sweat, it, you're just kind of. I don't know if I want to live on this world anymore. I don't know. Can, can we Warcraft out of this? Can I? Can I just portal to Azerbaijan or whatever the world's called and and, and live there where they don't have Adam Sandler? Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan. Azerath. That's it. Sorry. Just reminded me of Eddie Izzard. As my zone and jam. Oh, two things I just no, I, I was, I was, I'll be honest with you. I was losing the will to live, and yeah. no, I mean mo- this, this took up most of a train journey to London for me. And no, I never want to see it. Again. I never want to see Adam Sandler again. And no, so I could do with cheering up. To be honest, moment of cage. Moment of cage. Here it is, your moment of cage. I just stole fifty cars for you in one night. All right, I'm a little tired, a little wired, and I think I deserve a little appreciation. 